Thanks for checking out the Oasis Church podcast from Camden, Arkansas. Each week we share the message from our Sunday worship service. Join us anytime. More information at camdenoasischurch.com. All right, it's good to be with you this morning. We're going to be in Mark chapter 1. And um, we're doing our series through the Gospel of Mark, and where we're going to see Mark's call on the Christian life to, to become a disciple of Christ. And so, Mark chapter 1, last week we talked about um, Mark establishing, and, and his book's a little different than the other Gospels. It's, it, it, it's almost like a documentary style. It's, it's just like some pictures and some glimpses, and he, and he moves pretty quickly through some stories. And, and last week we saw that Mark's purpose in, in the beginning of his book was to establish the Son of God um, had come. He was establishing this this authority that Jesus would have, and we continue to see him build upon that in in the chapter or the rest of the chapter. Chapter one is we're going to look at verses fourteen through twenty today, and we're going to see this idea of of who Christ is as He's come to proclaim the kingdom of God as the one who has the authority, and we're going to see that He preaches a message, and and there's a response to this message. And so, um, if you have your Bibles. We'll be starting in verse 14. It says, Now after John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee, proclaiming the gospel of God and saying, The time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. Passing alongside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and Andrew, the brother of Simeon, casting a net into the sea, for they were fisher of men. For they were fishermen, sorry. And Jesus said to them, follow me and I will make you fisher of men. And immediately they left their nets and followed him. And going in a little further, he saw James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, who were in their boats mending the nets. And immediately he called them. And they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired servants and followed him. Let's pray. Father, we just ask that as we Look at your word together today, Lord, that it would um, just speak volumes into our hearts and our lives as, as, um, as your spirit just works through your word. And God, just um, let us have um, just the, the mindset to, to hear from you today, God, to see the authority that you've established, your kingdom, Lord, and the importance of that in our lives um, as believers. We love you and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. This week I was listening to a podcast and... Uh, and it's, it's a comedian, Nate Bargatze. I don't know if some people know who that is, but uh, he's got a podcast, and they were talking about some big events, and, and he was, they were kind of laughing about this, this uh, idea of what traveling used to be like, because in, in our world, in our day and age, we know that there was traveling pre-9-11, and then everything changed after that date, right? There's this, this moment in time when everything changed, and he was talking about um, before 9-11, he, would, um, he had a friend who had a, a plane ticket, and instead of calling, the friend couldn't use this ticket, instead of calling the airline and saying, hey, I can't use this ticket, I want to transfer it to a friend of mine so that he can use it, um, they decided that he would just take the ticket and he'd take his friend's ID, and he would just go to the airport, and they would just use his friend's ID to get on the plane. And he said he got all the way to the end 
I mean, like the security let him through. He said, and that's just mind-blowing that there was a moment in time where um, that was just a thought. That that's how, okay, you've got an extra ticket. Well, I'll just take yours and your ID, and we'll just get on the plane and go. And that way somebody can use it. And, and we see that, um, that this, this idea that there are moments in time in history that change everything. Now, um, your name has to match perfectly. You have to have all these things of ideas. Soon you'll have to have some kind of star printed on something that um, you probably have to have a tattoo one day to say that you can fly to certain areas. Like we just, there's so many things because of what has happened. And there was a major event in history. Today, in the context of Mark, he is saying there's a major event in history that changed everything. And that's what this scripture is about. That's what he's been, he's been proclaiming in the beginning of his book is that there's this event that has happened that, that all the Old Testament has been looking forward to, that, that all the people have been prophesying and, and, and waiting on this moment, and this moment is here. And we see that, that it was uh, proclaimed by John the Baptist and it was proclaimed by God in, in his baptism, but now we see that Jesus begins his ministry. That, that from, from this point forward, he's going to begin his Galilean ministry, his public ministry of preaching the gospel and ministering to people. And people are going to know that he is the Messiah, the one who was sent. And so we see this, this life-changing moment in history. And so here in Mark, he gives us some context for this moment. Um, and, and he's doing that to establish something. Uh, He's given us the context of a, of a moment, a time in history, and a place. Because up till this point, it's always been talking about who was coming. Up to this point, there's always been foreshadowing of, of the Messiah, the one who would come. But, but Mark is saying, the time is now. The time is now. And so he gives us this, this moment in time to hold on to. He gives us this place in history. It's an historical event that is happening and that's important for us to know as believers is because there is a, a moment in time we can trace the person of Jesus back to. For skeptics and those who, who do not believe, I, I was listening to something this week of, of somebody who's a very prominent person, um, and, and they began to ask him about religion, and, and he's an Orthodox Jew, and he doesn't believe that Jesus Christ would, even came. He doesn't believe that he's a, he was a prophet. He doesn't even believe that he was a great man. He said, I just don't believe in the history of this person. And I thought, man, I don't even know if that's what they believe, but that's unbelievable. And Mark here, he gives us a context to say there was a moment in time, a place in history, and historically the person of Jesus Christ was a real person. And, and so he's, he's beginning to give some grounding, some foundations for understanding who Jesus is. So as those who they're preaching the gospel to, as those who they're sharing Jesus with would know, um, they can know that, that, that this person was a real person and accomplishing real things, and he truly was the Son of God who come to earth. And so we see in the beginning of this, in verse 14, that Jesus preaches a message, that there's a message being preached here. It says, now after John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee proclaiming the gospel of God. Proclaiming the gospel of God. There's a message here that's being preached, and that's the good news of God. It doesn't say that he's proclaiming the gospel of Jesus Christ, which we'll see at times, but it says here he's proclaiming the gospel of God. 
And I think it's, it, it's all the context of what we're trying to understand is that this is the message that's been there from the beginning of time, that God would accomplish his, pers- his purpose, a sovereign God who's in control of all things. This is not a response to what's going on in the world. This is not a reaction by God to accomplish something. This is the good news of God that's been being preached from the beginning of time. We can go back to to Genesis uh, chapter 3 and verse 15. Uh, That is a verse that is known uh, to be the first time the mention of the gospel. And in Genesis 3.15 it says, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. And he shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. Speaking to the serpent. That, that there is going to be this, this, this hostility between um, man and Satan, that, but there was going to be Jesus who was going to come in. And, and although that he was going to, Jesus is going to be put to death on the cross, ultimately Jesus is going to win. And, and the, the, the idea here is that even all the way in Genesis, there's a foreshadowing of what is to come. What is to come? A message of God. That God is accomplishing a purpose. This is not something new. This is something from the beginning of time that Jesus would enter into the world and he would redeem man. This is not a new story. 1 Peter 1.18 says, For you know that it is not with perishable things such as silver or gold that you were redeemed from the empty way of life handed down to you from your forefathers but with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect. He was chosen before the creation of the world. He was chosen before the creation of the world, but it was revealed in the last times for your sake. This is what Mark is saying here, that exactly what that verse says. He says that, that Christ is purchasing you, that there's something greater at stake here. There's not, you can't sacrifice it the lamb. You can't um, go to all the, the Old Testament laws anymore, that there's a new way, and it's to trust in what Jesus is accomplishing as he lays his life down at the cross. And so he, Jesus proclaims a message of God. I think that's important for us to understand, is that Jesus is here proclaiming what God has been speaking into the world uh, for, for all, of, all of time, for all of humanity, that Jesus Christ would come and redeem his people. That this is not a new idea. This is not a response to, to the sin. God is not, um, he's not just reacting, but he has had a plan from the beginning. And this plan is coming together in Jesus. That shows the authority of Jesus. That the gospel that he is preaching isn't just his gospel. It's not something that he just decided, I'm going to raise up. I'm going to call myself the Messiah, and I'm going to accomplish these things, and I'm going to make it seem like this is a thing. He says, no, I'm proclaiming God's gospel, his good news, what his kingdom is about, and and how your relationship with God is going to be made right. It is God's gospel. So we see that that first that the message that Jesus proclaims is, is a message from God. It's a timely message. Listen to what it says. It says in verse 15, And saying, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. This is what Jesus is preaching. This is the gospel. That the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. It's a timely message. This word time here is an interesting word. Uh, In the Greek, there's two words for time. And one of them 
refers to a moment in time, and one of them refers to an event in time. And so moment by moment, there's this word, and it's chronos, and it's, it's where we get the word chronology, a moment in time as it's going, day by day, minute by minute. Um, but there's another word, and this is the word that's actually used here. It's not always, it's not used as often, and it's keros. And this kairos is, is this word that means a historical event. So when he says the time is fulfilled, he's not just saying there's a moment here, but this historical event is happening, that the kingdom of God is coming. That it, In fact, he'll say that it's at hand, that the time is fulfilled. See, there's, there's history happening right now. You're a part of history in this moment of time. You're gathered in this church, and this is a, a moment of history, right? That this is happening, but it's not a historic moment. There's nothing that I'm going to say necessarily that's a historic moment except for referring back to this moment. And this was a historic moment. And we think about that. Uh, the reason I talked about that podcast this week is because it just reminded me that there are historic moments in, in, in our lives that, that we understand, things like 9-11, that, that changed the way that we do things in, in, our, uh, in our world, in, in the United States. It changed the way that, that things happen, the way that we see things. Um, COVID, that's something that has changed the way that we do life. Uh, that, that's changed the way that churches meet. It's changed the, it changed the way that, that hospitals work. It's changed the way that, that so many things happen within ministry and in the world, in your jobs, and in your social lives. It, it, it's a moment that we can look back and say, this changed things. Most of the time, it's a negative. We see things like war. We see things like <laughs> tragic events as being those historical moments that change things for our life. But here, we see that this moment that is being talked about is that the kingdom of God is coming into the world. Through the person of Jesus, through the message of Jesus, through what Jesus is going to accomplish, in the hearts of the believer, the kingdom of God is being established. See, in, in our history, we see the birth of Jesus as this kairos, as this moment in history where everything changed. In fact, it went from B.C. to A.D., right? Like we even recognize that as, as when the world changed because of Jesus Christ coming in to this world, being born as a babe, that, that he would be Born to be a, a sacrifice, a perfect, holy sacrifice to God to redeem mankind. And it changed everything. We even recognize that in our Western culture, in our world. So he's saying this, there's this timely, fulfilled event. This word fulfilled doesn't just mean full. It means overflowing. That this, this thing that's happening is so big that it changes everything. And that's why we're here. Because that's what the gospel does. It changes everything. It really is an event that, that is supposed to change everything about you as a person in your life because it changes something from dead to life, right? It, it, it changes everything about who we are. When the kingdom of God becomes a part of, that we become a part of his kingdom through Jesus Christ, he changes our identity. He changes everything about us. He changes our purpose. He changes our focus. He gives us a new mindset. He gives us a new heart. And so this is a historical event. That Jesus Christ would be proclaiming this kind of event. That, that he would come in and this would be his message. 
that the gospel of God would come into the lives of the world and that people would have an opportunity to respond and believe that he is establishing his kingdom in the hearts of people. And this is a message that demands a response. Jesus quickly says the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Remember, Mark is a book of urgency. It's a book of, of, of importance. And, and he's constantly having this idea. In fact, we're going to see in just a minute. He says immediately twice in the next few verses because, because there's an idea that he's, he's, he's preaching a message. He's writing down this gospel that says there is something here to react to. There's something here that demands a response. And the gospel of Jesus Christ demands a response. When we hear and know the gospel, it demands a response. It's not something that we can just be neutral to. It's not something that we can just say, yeah, I've heard it, but I'm not going to think on it. Because if we've heard it, then the invitation has been given. Then the understanding is there. Um, and, and we're either receiving it or we're rejecting it. The gospel demands a response. That's why there's some urgency here. That's why he says the time has come. The event is happening. The kingdom of God is being established here on earth. It is at hand. It means it's there. It's there now. So respond. And he gives us the proper response. And we're halfway through the message already. So, so hang on and let's hear um, the proper response to, to, to the gospel message. As, as, as it's going to help us to understand our place, our understanding as we're part of God's kingdom, if we're believers, that, that we respond rightly to the gospel. Because it's not just a moment. It's a continual thing that happens in the life of a believer. And we'll see that here. That your response to the gospel, salvation is, is in the beginning, but it's a lifelong relationship and commitment and living for Jesus. And so there's a, a res proper response to the message that Jesus is proclaiming. Here he says, the gospel is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. Here we see the proper response is, is that we're to believe in the gospel. That, that we're to repent of our sins. That this is, this is the, the beginning of, of believing and understanding the gospel message. Is that it's to lead us to repentance. It's to lead us to respond. The word repent means turning away from. We've heard this. We've heard that it means to, to do a 180-degree turn that could be in a completely different direction of where you were headed. So when he talks about repenting, in the Old Testament he talked about a lot that, that God would call a nation to repent, to turn away from the way that they've been heading away from God and, and worshiping idols and all these other things and turn back to following God, to be brokenhearted over their sin and to repent from it. And it meant um, to be turning away from something. And so we recognize that, that believing in the gospel, a proper response to the gospel, is one, a recognition of our sinfulness. It's a recognition of, of, of how we mess up, how we don't get things right daily. Even as a believer, even as a pastor, I mess up. I recognize my sin and my brokenness. I recognize the thoughts that I have that I would be embarrassed that people know. I recognize that, that my anger at times is just out of control. I recognize that, that I am not um, living up to the God's standard of holiness. And because of that, I need to turn away from my sin 
Because I need to repent of my sin. I need something in my life that can change that. That's why he says the response to the gospel is repentance. It's recognition of your sin because um, we have to understand that we're being saved from something. In Acts 3.19 it says repent then and turn to God so that your sins may be wiped out, that the time of refreshing may come from the Lord. 2 Peter 3.9 says, The Lord is, is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. Instead, he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. This is the beginning response to the message of God, is that we repent and we turn from our sins. And you guys are sitting here going, we know, I've done this 40 years ago, 30 years ago, 10 years ago. I don't know your stories, but, but you're saying, I, I understand this. Well, this is something that continues a lifelong of repentance. It's an understanding that we're still going to mess up. And the Bible tells us in 1 John that, um, that we need to keep going to him. Not, not for a new salvation every day, but just to keep going to him and asking for forgiveness because we continually mess up. Because uh, we're not fully sanctified. We're not completely made holy in this life, in this world. And so we continue to live in sin. But the Bible tells us that he's faithful and just to forgive us of our sins. And so we continue to repent. The Bible says we repent and believe. The other side of, of coming to Christ is, is that the idea of belief. It's that you're turning from something to something. See, when we recognize we need to repent of our sins, we also recognize that the only thing that can save us from our sins is Jesus. That's what those scriptures said, that the Lord would wipe out our sins, that, that we are repenting because of, of, of what God can do, as we're trusting in him. We're believing in what he is going to accomplish in our lives. It's an understanding that we can't fully turn away from sin on our own. We can't accomplish this. It doesn't matter how hard we try, that this is not going to happen. I try so hard daily, even as someone who knows Jesus and understands the gospel fully, and I still mess up. And so for those who, who are not connected to God, he's saying that the, we have to turn to him and believe in what Jesus is accomplishing. See, Jesus and Mark is establishing that what Jesus is coming to do is he's going to make the difference in your life. Hey, if you're struggling with sin right now, if there's things in your life that you know that, that they're just strongholds in your life, the only thing that's going to rid you of that is Jesus. It's going to Him. It's repenting of that sin. It's praying to Him. It's asking Him for freedom. It's trusting in Him. It is Jesus that accomplishes these things. It is Him who breaks the chains. It's him who, who renews the heart. It's him who, who will go into that struggle and into that darkness, and he will bring some healing. It is Jesus Christ who does that. It is not us on our own. So we don't just repent and say, yeah, I mess up, but we turn to God and we say, Lord, I need you. I'm desperate for what you are going to accomplish. I need your kingdom. I need your, uh, your salvation. I need you as Savior. And so we repent and we believe. And I believe another part is that we follow. And we see that in this. I believe the proper response to the Gospels 
is to repent, believe, and follow. That, that you are entering into a lifelong relationship with Christ. That your identity is now hidden with him. That, that we are going to live for him. That he is the Lord and king of our lives. That's what it talks about. His kingdom is at hand. Not my kingdom. Not what I can accomplish in this world. Not how great the name Noah Hill becomes. Um, because it's not going to be that great. But it's what God is doing. And I'm surrendering myself to live for him and his kingdom. And so we follow him. Listen to what he says as he calls his disciples. It says, passing aside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and Andrew, the brother of Simon, and casting a net into the sea, they were fishermen. And Jesus said to them, follow me, and I will make you become fishers of men. And immediately they left their nets and followed him. This is not an immediate response. It is an immediate response, but they had been around Jesus. Um, If you look in the other gospels, it says that they had spent some time with him. But when Jesus walks by and he says, it's time to follow me, they dropped what they were doing. They dropped what they were doing and they followed him. This is absolute surrender. This is complete life change. This is them giving up all kinds of things. And we're going to see in in these verses that Jesus calls them to a life of following him. It is a, it's unlike what anyone else gets to experience because they got to walk with Jesus and see Jesus and hear the teachings of Jesus be right there. But we get it through the Word of God. We get it through the Holy Spirit working in our hearts. And we get to know Jesus and follow Him with our lives because of those ways. But here they were called to follow because He was going to do something different in their lives. They had a livelihood that they were a part of, and He was changing that. It's not that they are just fans of Jesus, but they're followers. There's a book that was out a long time ago, and I don't know that the book's even worth reading, but there's a quote in it that, that I always sticks in my head when I, I hear and read these verses. It's um, called Not a Fan by Kai Elderman, but he says, The biggest threat to the church today is fans who call themselves Christians but aren't actually interested in following Christ. They want to be close enough to Jesus to get the benefits, but not close enough that it requires anything from them. If you don't hear anything else from that book, then that, that quote right there was, was worth reading. He says, because, because I think that rings true, is that these guys weren't just fans of Jesus. We weren't just showing up to, to, to the worship service on Sunday and that being it. They were followers of Christ. They were giving up of themselves. See, fans... They will dress the part. They will cheer you on. They will, they will be excited about what you're doing. They, they, they'll even show up at times to where you are. The real followers, and they are doing life with you. That they, they are connected. They're not just wearing the shirt. They are living the life that they are called to. They are, they are following. They are dedicated. And that's what he's saying the difference is here. He's like, it's not just about gaining the benefits of knowing Jesus. It's about gaining Jesus. It's about having him a part of your life. It's about what he is doing and being a part of that. And that's what we see in the call to follow him as the disciples. 
He just gives us a, a short glimpse of this. But it says, he says, follow me and I will make you become fishers of men. And immediately they left their nets and followed him. This was an immediate response. If you go on and read the same thing with, with um, James and John, the sons of Zebedee, he says, um, they were in their boat mending the nets, and immediately he called to them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired servants and followed him. I mean, weird, weird picture in my mind of Jesus says, come on, they just drop everything and go, and here's this dad going, what just happened? You know, like this moment, but that's, that's the call, and that's the response. It's a proper response, it's to follow, and it's an immediate response. Jesus is, uh, Mark is showing that. We already see that this historical event, that the kingdom of God is at hand, there's some urgency here. What is at stake here is that lives are going to be eternally lost. That people are, are living without Jesus. That, that, that is what's at stake here. That's why there needs to be an immediate response. Their desire to know Christ and to follow Him and, and to be made new by Him is seen in their immediate response. Their response was costly. Following Jesus isn't always easy. It isn't always just about gaining the benefits. It costs them something. These guys were fishermen. And in the Sea of Galilee, where there were hundreds of boats, historically they say there's, there's a time where, where there was a war gathered and they, they borrowed 250 boats um, from the Sea of Galilee meaning that there were other ones out there. So we know that, like, in this area, that there were hundreds of fishermen and that this was a place where, where business was happening. These were tradesmen, and they were um, gathering fish for their family, but they were most likely selling it, and, and it was being sent all over the area to make money. And so these were businessmen. These weren't just that they said, um, you know, these lowly fishermen who didn't have anything in this world. That they weren't costing them to leave. Um, it was a cost. They weren't suffering servants or sailors. They, were, they became followers of Jesus because they knew what he offered was so much more valuable. They knew that, that the cost of, of leaving this behind, leaving this earthly wealth and this, this security that they had in this moment and following him was going to lead to a greater life. And we see that in their response to him. We see that in response of, of James and John as they left their father. They left, they left their families, they left their jobs, and they followed Christ. And I don't think Jesus is calling any of us to walk away from our families and, in this day and age. I don't think that, that it, the costs are the same, but it does cost to follow Jesus. In fact, Mark will say later on that we're going to take up our cross, deny ourselves, and follow him. And it's, it's not just what we're going to get out of it, but it's because it's worth it. It's because the value of knowing Christ and being a part of his kingdom is so worth it that we're willing to sacrifice to follow. Following Christ is costly. Luke 9, 59 says to another, he said, follow me. But he said, Lord, let me go first go and bury my father. And Jesus said to him, leave the dead to bury their own dead. That's for you, go and proclaim the kingdom of God. Man, that seems harsh that he would say this. There are other times where he talks about um, that, that the gospel would set um, mothers against daughters and, and, and there would be things that it would disrupt in this family social 
um, this hierarchy and things of, of the family. And, and, and it was because what Jesus was saying is not that it wasn't important for what he needed to do to take care of his father. But what was more important, the urgency of it is that the kingdom of God was at hand. That proclaiming the gospel was of such importance that now was the time to do it and to believe and to trust and to follow. So the following is a, it's a costly response. The last thing we see in this response is that it's a response to the authority of Jesus. We respond in this way only to Jesus. Only to Jesus. He says in this follow me, in this statement right here, I will make you fisher of men. I will. I will accomplish these things. You follow me because what I'm going to do in your life, it is because of his authority that we are following him. It's because of what he's going to accomplish. We don't do it because you heard an encouraging message from a pastor or because, um, because you're, somebody told you to. You do it because of what Jesus is going to do in your heart and life, what he's accomplishing because of his purposes. We do these things because it says, I will make you fishers of men. Jesus says, I have the authority as the Son of God, as the one who was proclaimed in the Old Testament, as one who was proclaimed by John the Baptist, as one who was proclaimed by God coming out of of his baptism, as the one who is preaching with all authority that the kingdom of God is at hand. I will make you fishers of men. I will accomplish this. He was changing their lives from people who caught fish to people who would preach the gospel. That's a drastic change. That's a, that's a life that is altered completely because of what Jesus is doing. And so we surrender to him. We follow him because of what he can do in our lives. He can take little and make much out of it. He can take what's weak and make it strong. He can take a shy, quiet kid who grew up in Eldorado, Arkansas that, that was never thought to, that ministry and preaching would ever be in his mind and make him the pastor of this church. And I don't know why some days that that, that was what God was desiring to accomplish, but I'm so thankful it is. Because what Jesus Christ can do when we surrender to him is he will make the difference and it's not anything else. Paul David Tripp says this, they are not called because of who they are. They are called for who Christ is. That's the gospel. And it doesn't leave room for pride or arrogance. The gospel doesn't preach adequacy. It preaches sufficiency in Christ. Isn't that an amazing quote? It's not because of who they were. It's because of who Christ is. And that's, the, that's what the gospel is all about. It's not about you. It's about what Jesus Christ can accomplish for you and in you. And that's why Mark writes with such urgency, because he wants us to know this message. So as we we close today, let us surrender. Let us follow the one who will sustain us, the one who will transform us, who will change our hearts, who will do a work that only he can do. Let us see this kingdom of God that's at hand. Man, they were looking for this kingdom to be something that was going to politically change everything for them. They were looking for a kingdom to come and a ruler to be king and and to just lift them up. And that's why so many people missed when Jesus came. 
Because that's not what they were expecting. They weren't expecting a, a, a humble child. They weren't expecting a humble servant. They were expecting this great, mighty leader to accomplish all these things for them. And Jesus was, and his kingdom was at hand. And he was establishing his kingdom first in the hearts of believers. And one day he will return and he'll establish that kingdom reign in the fullness. And sin will be gone and, and we'll have perfect bodies and, and God will, will reign fully and his kingdom will be, and the fullness of his kingdom will be recognized. But right now it's recognized in the hearts of believers. And this is what Jesus Christ was doing for us. So I think there's some questions we can ask ourselves this morning. What does it cost you to follow Christ? What does it cost you to follow Jesus? What is it that is getting it, hindering you from fully following Jesus? Is there something? I know a lot of times it's just me. It's my desires. It's my, my mindset. It's, it's just me. I get in the way so much of what Jesus wants. What is keeping us from fully surrendering to him? What can we do to eliminate those hindrances? What can we do to say, God, I just need to surrender and, and, and let you work? And maybe that's the response today. Maybe for the first time, the response needs to be that Jesus is, is desiring. Uh, he's calling you to salvation. He's calling you to trust, repent, and believe uh, and follow. That that needs to be the decision that you make today to, to f maybe for the very first time just fully surrender your life to him. I don't know what your response needs to be today, but God's given us a clear response of repent, believe, and follow. And for all of us, maybe it's the beginning stage of that. Maybe we've been believers for a long time. We need to just continue that aspect of trusting Jesus, of repenting of our sins, of trusting in him daily, of just continuing to follow him. Let's pray together. Father, we love you. Lord, I thank you for this this pattern that you set here in Mark that, that you're going to speak to multiple times of just repent, believe, follow. Lord, I pray that that would be our heart's cry, Lord, that, that we would surrender ourselves in, in that way. Lord, that we would want to trust you fully. Lord, I thank you for your gospel. I thank you for Jesus and the message that you proclaim, the good news of your kingdom, Lord. Pray that we'd have an urgency about us to share that good news with others. Or that we desire to, to make known your love and your, just Lord, your presence in this world. Well, I just pray, Lord, as, as a church, as a people, as individuals, Lord, that we'd just surrender to you now. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.